Hey, yo, what is happening, everybody? This is Austin coming back at you with another episode of the Coffee Break Hems podcast. Today on the podcast, we are going to be talking about all things pH and ABGs. Uh, I've had uh, several viewers request uh, that I talk about like ventilator management stuff on uh, um, with respect to ABGs and like when to pull the trigger on bicarb and stuff like that. And so we're going to answer those questions. So this is like the ABG Q&A. But before I get into the material, if you are a frequent listener uh, to the podcast and you have not given us a five-star rating yet, please pause really quick, take that phone out of your pocket, and give us a nice five-star review so that way we can get discovered by more people. But if you have already given us a review, then I thank you. All right, so let's get right into it. So I'm going to answer four common questions that I get with regards to ABGs and interpretation and putting them to use, right? It's like cool if you can uh, say like, oh yeah, this person has like a uncompensated metabolic acidosis. But uh, unless you can really put that into you know, your patient and make changes to your patient based off of those findings, then being able to interpret the numbers is kind of pointless. So uh, the four questions that I am going to answer today is A, what the heck is pH A? Uh, number two is how do we set the respiratory rate on the ventilator with somebody who is like super acidotic. Number three is when are we ever pulling the trigger on bicarb? And then number four is how to predict changes to pH when you make changes to the patient. So question number one, uh, what is pH. So, I mean, really, let's take a second to talk about acid base to begin with. What What is it, you know, and truly understand what it is. So, really looking at an acid in a base. All right. So, what is an acid? It's very simple. An acid is anything in the body that releases hydrogen into the blood. And we will talk about all the different uh, ways that our body makes hydrogen, but um, that is really the basic thing. So uh, an acid is just something that releases hydrogen into the blood. On the flip side of that, what is a base? A base is just something that attaches to hydrogen. And so what pH really just is, is it's a measure of how much free hydrogen there is circulating around the body. That's what the H in pH stands for is hydrogen. The pH is the potential of hydrogen. And what it is, is it's the negative logarithm of the amount of hydrogen, which is something that nobody needs to remember ever. But essentially what it means is if you have a higher concentration of hydrogen circulating around in the body, it is reflected by a lower pH. Hydrogen in and of itself is not an acid, but we know that with a lot of acids present in the body, they will be releasing a lot of hydrogen, and the presence of a high concentration of hydrogen is associated with a presence or the presence of a ton of acids in the body. And so that's why a low pH is reflective of somebody who is in an acidemic state. We have the ability to make and remove an endless supply of hydrogen from our bodies, and we have an endless supply of bicarb from uh, that we can 
produce and or reabsorb into our body. And so uh, really, it's not those two specific things that we care about. It's some of the other things, So, uh, uh, which will make a lot more sense here in a few minutes. So first off, all right, so how do we make hydrogen? And we do so through several mechanisms in the body. The most common is going to be from carbon dioxide. So CO2 and water are going to combine and go through that carbon or excuse me, carbonic acid uh, reaction and then it's going to come out as hydrogen and bicarbonate on the other side. So that's that carbonic acid buffering system that we have. So the most common way is through that CO2. We also get hydrogen from our food metabolism, right? Especially uh, through um, proteins because we have like phosphoric acid and, and uh, phosphoric acid that uh, get uh, produced, uh, or excuse me, released into our body from protein breakdown, but all food metabolism produces hydrogen. And then we also get hydrogen through like organic and or pathologic acid production like lactate, ketones, pyruvate, uh, and then some fatty acid breakdown. So we produce hydrogen from a number of ways, and we have an endless amount of it essentially. And we all know the buffering systems of the body. The buffering systems are the things that help to make it to where we don't have too much free hydrogen floating around in the body. We've got our lungs, we've got our blood, and we've got our kidneys that are the primary buffering systems. And I'm not going to belabor them very much. Everybody in this uh, on this podcast knows like the carbonic acid uh, buffering system, I'm sure, and everybody has at least a foundational knowledge of the kidneys. Uh, so I'm not going to belabor it too much. But essentially, in the body, if there isn't enough hydrogen, we don't have enough uh, free hydrogen in the body or in the blood, we are going to take CO2 and water and we are going to combine those two to make carbonic acid. And then carbonic acid is going to disassociate into hydrogen and bicarbonate. And now we have an adequate amount of hydrogen in the body. If there is too much hydrogen in the body, we are going to start converting it the other way and producing CO2 and water. That will make us start breathing off all of those CO or a lot of that CO2, especially as our peripheral uh, chemoreceptors pick up that increased level of hydrogen. It's going to tell our body to breathe off some CO2. Once the level of hydrogen goes back down to a normal level, it will stop uh, combining with bicarb to produce CO2, so there will be less. CO2 production. Our central chemoreceptors are going to recognize that there's not a ton of CO2, and we are going to slow our breathing back down. So there's many mechanisms to buffer this, uh, this hydrogen in the body, um, but <clears throat> what do we really care about in terms of acid base in our patients? First, the level of hydrogen in the body is not the problem, right? We know that hydrogen is just a symptom of what's really going on. If your pH is low, then there is so much hydrogen being released into the body that it's overwhelming our carbonic acid system's ability to make CO2, and it's overwhelming our kidneys' ability to excrete hydrogen into the urine. So generally speaking, trying to treat somebody's pH is doing nothing, right? So trying to just uh, make somebody not acidotic anymore by trying to treat their pH is like trying to, you know, continuously like mop the floor in your kitchen and your flooded kitchen, but never turning off the faucet, right? So the hydrogen is just going to keep on coming. We need to figure out what in the body is continuously releasing that hydrogen into the body, and then we need to fix that. And hydrogen will naturally start to balance as our buffering systems can start to catch up to the production. On the flip side of hydrogen, we have 
bicarbonate, right? So our body also has an endless ability to create and reabsorb bicarbonate, just like it does hydrogen. So why and when does bicarb levels change or do the bicarb levels change in the body? And we know that the body always has to be like electrically neutral, right? So all of the positive charges in your body have to equal all of the negative charges in the body. Your positive charges are things like sodium and calcium and potassium and hydrogen. Uh, and then like your negatively charged ions, which we call anions, are things like your chloride, your lactate, your albumin, and then pathologic acids like keto acids and stuff like that. Those are all negatively charged uh, ions or anions. And so in our body, all of those ions, those positively charged things, need to equal our negatively charged things. And there's always going to be a little gap between the positives and the negatives because there's a little bit more positively charged things uh, in the body than there are negatively thing, or charged things. And that is where bicarb comes in. Bicarb simply just fills the gap between the positive and the negatively charged ions. So in your body, if your chloride goes up because you just got uh, two liters of normal saline, the gap between the positives and the negatives is going to go down, right? So that gap is going to get smaller as your chloride goes up. And so bicarb will be less reabsorbed in the kidneys and bicarb will start to go down. So the level of bicarb will go down. It's not reflective of some horrible, dangerous thing happening in the body, all that it's showing you is that there's less of a gap between the positively charged ions and the negatively charged ones. If you have a bunch of like keto acids floating in the body and they're constantly excreting hydrogen uh, into the blood because um, keto acids are an acid, you guessed it. Uh, so it's an acid. So we know that they release hydrogen into the blood. And as those keto acids build, bicarbonate is a, going to have to buffer all of that excess hydrogen and turn it into CO2, but you're also going to have the level of bicarb going down naturally because as keto acids start to fill that space, then there will be less bicarb available to, uh, uh, to be in that system because the gap is going to be smaller. So if you just think about that for a minute, right? Bicarb, the level of bicarb in the body is not a cause of something. The level of bicarbonate in the body is a symptom of something else. So therefore, in most cases, treating bicarb is just as pointless as trying to treat the patient's hydrogen or treat their pH uh, specifically. So I mean, think about it. Essentially, you have like a glass or a cup on the table, and there's a bunch of different colored oils in it. Uh, and those oils are all of your uh, all of your anions like chloride and lactate and albumin and stuff like that. This glass is like three quarters of the way full um, of all of these different colored oils. And uh, essentially, bicarb is the air in that glass, right? There's an endless amount of air that can be put into the glass. If I need more, I can add more. But the cup just has to be full between the oils and the air, and it always will be full. And that is all bicarb is. So if I need to um, you know, fix a problem that's going on because a ton of uh, one of these oils 
is becoming much more prevalent in the glass, uh, let's say the lactate oil is uh, is doubling or tripling, uh, then there's going to be less air in the glass. But helping this person out doesn't entail me trying to force more air into the glass, right? I need to find out why there's that excess oil, treat that, and then allow the body, like i.e. the kidneys, remove it. And so uh, bicarb will naturally return to normal over time as long as we're treating the underlying cause. All right, so let's talk about physically interpreting ABGs just for a few minutes before we move on to question number two. So uh, we need to understand a few things. Uh, a, the primary buffering system of the body is that carbonic acid system, i.e. like the respiratory system. And so looking at the CO2 is the most important value when determining what the primary problem of somebody's acid-base derangement is. Number two is that the body will always attempt to compensate for badness happening inside of it. Always, right? So left to its own devices, the body will always attempt to correct issues with pH. The only time that compensation doesn't happen is if the patient's kidneys aren't working or if the patient's respiratory system isn't working, i.e. somebody who's in renal failure or somebody who is so altered that they have respiratory failure or somebody who is intubated and sedated and doesn't have the ability to compensate. So how do we interpret ABGs? It really could not be more simple than it is. First, you look at the pH. If it's normal, then we're good, right? I mean, even if they have a derangement in that moment, as long as the patient maintains this, we're not going to be changing anything for this person, right? So if they have that quote unquote fully compensated uh, acidosis going on, we don't really care about that because if they're fully compensated, then like they're not they're not uh, uh, actively trying to die. So we care about pHs that are not normal, right? So if a pH is low, they have an acidemia, which we already write covered. So just because their pH is low, that essentially means that they have a very high potential of, um, of hydrogen. However, uh, that is reflective of um, lots of acids present inside of the blood, because if a ton of hydrogen is present, then that means that a ton of acids had to be present in order to uh, uh, release those hydrogen ions into the blood. If pH is high above 7.45, then we have an alkalemia. So uh, as long as you look at the pH and you can identify if it's low, they have an acidemia. If it's high, they have an alkalemia. Now we just have to look for what kind of problem it is. So the first thing we're going to do is look at the CO2. If the CO2 is going in an opposite direction as the pH, then the problem is a respiratory problem. And so if the pH is low and the CO2 is high, they're going in opposite directions, that means it's a respiratory problem. And so we know what the first part of the problem is, and then we just look back at that pH and we're like, oh, it's low, so it was an acidemia, that means that it was a respiratory acidosis. Um, if the CO2 is going in the same direction as the pH, then it's a metabolic problem. And let that sink in for a minute. So if somebody has a metabolic acidosis due to sepsis, they're releasing a ton of free hydrogen into the blood because of all of that lactate production and a bunch of other stuff that is uh, pathologic acids that are being released into the body. And we are dumping a bunch of hydrogen into the body. We are overwhelming our buffering systems and our pH goes down. The body, we know, just looking at the septic patient, in order to compensate for it, is maximally trying to recruit their uh, carbonic acid system. And so we are very, very quickly converting a bunch of hydrogen, uh, combining it with bicarbonate, and then moving it through that car carbonic acid system. And we have CO2 and water coming out on the other side. And the patient is trying to breathe off a bunch of CO2 in order to compensate for their acidosis. And that's why anytime we 
we hook an entitled CO2 cannula up to a sick septic patient, CO2 is going to be low because they are trying to compensate for their acidosis. So if we look at a patient who has a, a pH of 7.26, that's super low, that is an acidosis. So we already know what half of the problem is. And now we look at the CO2 and it's 27. That is also low meaning that the patient is breathing off CO2 for some reason, meaning that the CO2 is not the problem for their acidosis, right? And it's a 50-50 rule. If, if the respiratory side isn't the problem, then it has to be the metabolic side that is the problem. And so we have a pH of 7.26, that is an acidosis. We have a CO2 that is 27, which is not contributing to their acidosis, so the problem has to be metabolic. So this is a metabolic acidosis. And again, if the pH is low and the CO2 is also low, those are going in the same direction, meaning that the problem is metabolic. So that is a metabolic acidosis. Now let's look at, the, at another patient. If we have a narcotic overdose patient, we have a pH of 7.33, which is acidotic, just a little bit, but acidotic. We look at the CO2 and it's 74. It makes sense just thinking about the patient that we have in front of us, not the pH or not the ABG at all. This is a nar narcotic overdose. This is somebody who's unresponsive, breathing four times a minute because they OD'd on a narcotic. We know that their CO2 level is going to be super high. And so it should be no surprise to you at all that this is a respiratory acidosis, but it makes complete sense, right? So their pH is low. So that's an acidotic pH, their CO2 is high, which contributes to acidemia. And so that is the primary cause of their acidosis, right? So they have a pH that's low and a CO2 that's high. So those are going in opposite directions, meaning that it is a respiratory problem. This is a respiratory acidosis. And I know that all of these things are like super difficult to do when you're not sitting in front of like a screen looking at these actual numbers. And so if you aren't um, super awesome uh, at interpreting ABGs, just start making numbers up on your own and and uh, um, and working through it. And there's tons of resources online as well. But I see it all the time. People are very uncomfortable interpreting ABGs. Uh, and um, that's just something that we really need to we really need to be better at. Uh, all right. So to recap, right? So look at the pH. Is it high or is it low? And then you look at the CO2. Is it high or is it low? If pH is low, there's an acidosis. And then you look at CO2. If it's high, that means that it's a respiratory acidosis. If the uh, CO2 is low and the pH is low, then that's a metabolic acidosis. We haven't even looked at the bicarb yet at this point, right? All right, so once we identify or once we determine uh, what the primary problem is, uh, now we are going to check that compensation thing. And remember that compensation always happens in the body, right? So, um, uh, all we have to do is determine if compensation is appropriate or not. All right, so once you've identified the problem, let's take a metabolic acid or acidosis, for example, from like DKA. We have a patient who's flushed, has some belly pain, he's a little altered, but seems to be maintaining his airway. He's got like crazy small breathing. And now we look at the ABG and we see the pH is 7.15. So this dude's got a big old acidosis going on. His CO2 is 18 which makes sense because he's breathing super quickly, right? And uh, the pH and the CO2 are both low, so this has to be a metabolic problem. And we already determined that the pH is low, so it's an acidosis, right? So this is a metabolic acidosis. Once we know that it's a metabolic problem, we just have to think how this patient is compensating for their acidosis, right? So if it's a metabolic problem, then the 
respiratory side has to be the side that he is compensating on. If this was that narcotic overdose and, and it was a respiratory acidosis, then it's the kidneys that are having to compensate for that badness at the time, right? So with metabolic issues, looking for compensation is pretty easy. The CO2 essentially just has to be about uh, equal to those two digits after the decimal on the pH. So uh, in this patient right here, we have a pH of 7.15, uh, and the two digits after the decimal are 1.5, and then the CO2 was 18. Those are pretty darn close to each other, so this person is appropriately compensating. They are maximally compensating for their metabolic acidosis. So this is a metabolic acidosis with appropriate respiratory compensation. If this DKAer uh, got way more altered, got fatigued, his breathing started slowing down, all of a sudden his CO2 is now 30 and his pH is 7.05 or something like that. And so we look at this pH of 7.05, we're like, holy moly, that is super low. We look at that CO2 of 30 and you're like, well, that's also lower than it should be. So those are going in the same direction. So this has to be a metabolic problem still. It's a metabolic acidosis. And then we look at that CO2 to see if they're compensating appropriately. And if we have a pH of 7.05, meaning that that the two digits after the decimal is 05 or just 5, and then the CO2 is 30, those are nowhere near each other, right? Those are 25 apart. And so this patient has a severe metabolic acidosis, but is not compensating on the respiratory side. So this is an inappropriate compensation on this patient. And this is the dude who's like altered and, and not protecting his airway that we're going to end up having to like intubate, which is never something that you want to do for these DKA patients. But sometimes you got to do what you got to do. All right. So let's look at like a respiratory issue. If you have a pH of 7.47 and a CO2 of 24, that pH is high. So it's an alkalosis. The CO2 is low. So it's going in an opposite direction. So that means that the primary problem is respiratory. Same direction equals metabolic, opposite direction equals respiratory. So this is a respiratory problem. We already established that it's an alkalosis, so it's a respiratory alkalosis. So if the problem is respiratory, we need to look at the kidneys and see if the kidneys are doing what they're supposed to do to try to equal out this equation. And it's a little more convoluted on the respiratory side, but if you have a respiratory problem, for every change in 10 on your CO2 that you have. So if you go up to 50 or you go down to 30, for every change in 10 on your CO2, the bicarb should also change in the same direction by like one to three, depending on the problem. If it's an acute or a chronic problem, it varies a little bit. So if the pH is 7.47, the CO2 is 24, uh, we've already established that that is a respiratory acidosis. The bicarb is 21. So the CO2 is 24, which is about 15 lower than it should be. So the bicarb should be about two to four below what it should be. And the normal bicarb is 24. The current bicarb is 21. So three less than it should be. That's appropriate. So appropriate compensation for this patient. All right. So we're already 20 some odd minutes into, uh, into this uh, podcast. I only got through the first question. So we're going to cut it here for part one and we are going to come back uh, next week. I won't, uh, I won't uh, make you guys wait two weeks, but come back next week for part two, which is where we are going to answer the following questions of how to set the respiratory rate on a ventilator for that newly intubated acidotic patient 
Question number two is going to be, uh, when are we ever going to pull the trigger on giving a bicarb drip? And then question number four is, can we predict changes to the pH if we make changes to the ventilator? Uh, but I appreciate everybody coming and hanging out today. As always, if you have any questions or comments or any suggestions for further episodes, feel free to reach out to me at kaisercpr at gmail.com. Uh, that's K-I-S-E-R-C-P-R at gmail.com. And I will see you guys in two weeks.